Well, top of the morning to you. Uh, this is our key market drivers call for Tuesday, the 14th of June. Uh, got a lot to talk about today, but as always, we'll start you off uh, with a plea for questions or comments. Uh, any suggestions about how we could make this uh, this presentation on Tuesday mornings maybe even more meaningful for you? Or as always, with any questions, please don't hesitate to uh, uh, contact us. Our, our uh, contact info is right on the screen that you can see there. Um, we thought actually this week uh, for, for a little cartoon up there, maybe to, uh, to try to get uh, some caption with Doug the dog, if any of you remember that, uh, who, uh, because we seem to have a market that uh, it really changes sometimes almost daily what it's looking at and what it uh, sees as the most important thing. Uh, we'll talk about those things and some of those changes this week. Uh, we did have our June WASD last week. We will talk uh, briefly about that. I don't think the WASD uh, as is often the case in June, really told us a heck of a lot. I think much more important uh, later this month on the 30th, we will get our uh, final um, uh, acreage numbers from the USDA. We'll get we'll get our June one stocks numbers. Uh, we will get uh, which will give me our final ending stocks for our wheat crop as well. So that's going to be a much more important report. We will go through the WASD data briefly and show you what did change and, and talk about why. Um, also wanted to mention, you probably noticed uh, after a pretty big updraft last week, we, we pretty much read all the way across your screen. Pretty much everything was down yesterday. We would call that a risk off day. What you saw yesterday probably had very little to do with actually supply demand fundamentals. That was kind of a uh, gee golly whiz. We have a lot of inflation. We've got another uh, batch of bad economic indicators that I'll talk about here in a second. And uh, that was kind of a baby in the bathwater day, we call it. Uh, some, uh, uh, investors were selling everything. Didn't matter if it was equities, commodities, uh, didn't seem to make a lot of difference. And I'll, I'll talk and talk a bit more about that, I think, as, uh, as we get into some different slides here. The, the really big thing that's kind of been moving markets in the last couple of weeks uh, is really this on-again, off-again situation in the Black Sea. I uh, believe we made the comment last week that uh, you got to be very careful when you're negotiating with Vlad Vladimir Putin uh, to be too optimistic. And boy, that turned out to be uh, spot on. Remember a week before last, we had markets that were down pretty hard, especially corn and wheat, because we thought Putin was going to allow some exports out of the Ukraine. Uh, we find out last weekend that uh, he's bombing Kiev again. He's blowing up uh, a pretty significant grain export facility. Um, and that those negotiations have gone south in a hurry. And so you've had corn and wheat prices back up quite a bit last week. Scott, why don't you give us a little bit more about uh, what's going on over there and uh, what else you're seeing in the wheat markets? Yeah, the the uh, the talks in Turkey pretty much pretty much failed. They got together and they, you know, talked about things. Uh, but but by the end of the week, things had pretty much, um, you know, everybody was throwing their hands in the air. Um, the, the big deal was that uh, anything that was put on the table was rejected by Ukraine. And, and most of what I understand, by Ukraine, right? no, by Ukraine. OK, uh, you, Putin has been all along, you know, uh, trying to sit there like a good little schoolboy. And, and uh, why not? He's a humanitarian. I've, they, I've never shut any of this down. And their contention has been all along that that these mines that are out there in the Black Sea were not placed by Russia. They were placed by Ukraine. That's Putin's story and he's sticking to it. He's sticking to it. Uh, the other thing about these mines that I thought was interesting is that there's a bunch of them 
that are untethered floating around out there in the Black Sea. They did not tether any, I shouldn't say any, but they did not tether a lot of these mines. And so um, not only on the shoreline as you move up the shore uh, are there, are there uh, uh, mines on the beachhead, but there's, there's mines floating around in the Black Sea that could, that could really get anybody. It's kind of a mess, quite honestly. Um, so uh, they have, those talks have failed. Um, Ukraine has worked harder to get uh, exports through Poland and Romania uh, is is kind of the best thing that they can do there. And, and that's kind of a mess too. Uh, uh, railing stuff uh, back to the uh, to the east or, or to the north with Poland or to the east with Romania and then trying to get it back on a boat. It's a mess. It, it really is truly a mess. So um, that, you know, a, a little bit up and down in the wheat market with that. The other things uh, I, I think that have buoyed our wheat market just a little bit you know, we were down 30, 30 to 40 cents in all three uh, categories last week. Um, a, a lot of that was uh, done early on on uh, uh, thinking that we were going to be able to get some of this stuff out of Ukraine. Didn't really happen. We've kind of bounced a little bit since then. Um, the other, I think, big news, maybe two things in the international uh, uh, market is that uh, uh, India getting a little bit of a better picture of what's going on over there in India. The U.S. ag attache, they came out and estimated the 22-23 wheat crop at only 99 million tons. Now, that's interesting considering that Uncle Sam on Friday and the WASDI came out at 106. They were at 108.5. USDA went down to 106, down two and a half. Um, the ag attache is at 99. Most of the privates are down in the very low 100s, if not actually below 100. So um, we'll, you know, the, the lowest number that I've seen out there is 92. Um, and if it is that small, then I, I don't, I don't know, some private analyst over there. And um, that very quickly means that they won't have as much uh, wheat to export this coming year, and, and they won't. Um, the other thing that continues to get play here as of late is the uh, the French crop. Uh, their conditions were down again for the sixth straight week. Uh, what a horrible, terrible thing it is. And it is dry. I, I'll give them all that credit in the world. It is dry uh, right at the end of their crop. But they're still at 66% good to excellent. So even though their conditions have deteriorated pretty markedly, um, they have a tendency to, to really throw big, big uh, uh, ratings on all of their crops. I mean, it's down 23% since the beginning of May. So yeah. that's right. uh, that's pretty much it for, for kind of the, the roundabout week. All right. Well, we'll come back to you. Thanks, Scotty. We'll come back to you here in a little bit uh, to give us the, the quick and dirty on uh, what the WASDI said about wheat, which I know I heard you say in the past. Uh, it isn't much. So I always hate to stop on this slide because it's a lot of words, uh, but I do have a couple things on here that I want to point out. I'll get to the macro stuff here in a second when I get to the, I got some pretty pictures, but uh, you probably noticed on that first bullet point slide that I showed you, uh, that Indonesia for the first time in several weeks, the Indonesian palm oil situation uh, was not on that slide. That is starting to fade a little bit. You can see I've got some verbiage down here for you if you want a little bit more of the detail. This has almost been a comedy of errors in Indonesia. 
the government seems to change their mind on exactly what they want to do on a near daily basis. Um, however, the good news is, is that we seem to be getting significant amounts of export licenses out of uh, Indonesia. They would normally export three to four million, you know, two and a half to three and a half million metric tons of palm oil a month. At this point, uh, they have now, just as of I think yesterday, issued another two and a quarter million metric tons of palm oil export licenses. Uh, and that's on top of, I think we talked last week about this, um, what the industry is starting to term an export acceleration program. Seems the government over there has figured out that the tanks are kind of full. Farmers are now pissed off at them because they have nowhere uh, to take their fruit because some of the mills had closed because their tanks were full. And so now they seem to be full blown at trying to move stuff out. There was also a plan uh, put in place late last week that they were actually uh, lowering their maximum export tax for palm oil in an effort to move some of the South stuff out the door. And they were also allowing exporters to pay an additional $200 a metric ton export tax that would allow them to get their license and, and forego their domestic obligation uh, to, I guess, maybe help them, you know, pay a little bit extra to the government and get the tanks emptied. So uh, bad news, still confusing as hell, uh, and they seem to change their mind on a near daily basis. The good news is there is palm oil moving out of Indonesia at this particular point in time. So that's why that one is kind of faded. Uh, just a bit here. Uh, well, and, what, and prices are down markedly. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, prices were down on what we told you last week, but they were down pretty good last week or week before last. Last week, palm oil was down another 90 bucks a ton. Uh, down, I think that was five and a half, five point six percent, something like that. So that's really one of the reasons we saw a little bit of relief in bean oil prices yesterday is this palm oil market has been uh, kind of tumbling. It was not only down 90 last week, it was down another 40 bucks yesterday. So a uh, little bit of good news there. And the other thing, I'll mention the rest of this when I get to the planning progress. Uh, but we did have also noticed uh, one of the themes I'll talk about when we do get to the WASD is kind of inconspicuously that the USDA has reduced or increased their estimate of world veg oil ending stocks in each of the last three WASDs to the spot right now where the world veg oil situation is not tight in any way, shape or form, at least if their estimate is correct. And they keep doing this because of what they're, a lot of it's demand destruction. Uh, demand is down hard uh, in China. <clears throat> um, one of the things you'll see here on this, uh, this slide, despite a bit of an uptick in the May reading, um, USDA is now forecasting China's import vegetable demand for, the, for this crop year at only a little over 8.6 million metric tons. That's down over four and a half million metric tons. That's down by over a third. Um, there is some demand destruction that does seem to be happening. And there's also, if you look in that biofuels, uh, there's a mention over there. Uh, Germany, the EU's largest consumer of, of biodiesel, biofuel, uh, is expected to impose a cap of 2.5% on first generation. First generation biofuels are pretty much biofuels made out of stuff that we eat. <laughs> And so we're, we're maybe starting to get a little bit of inroads here uh, with the whole notion that geez, food is expensive. Uh, certainly the RVOs here, that didn't happen, but anyway. So let's talk about the macros. Uh, we have a market that yesterday flipped away from the Russian thing a little bit to, oh my God, uh, we got a lot of pretty, pretty bad economic news here. This is a part of it, CPI. 
Uh, CPI for food rose over 10%. The overall CPI was up 8.6%. Um, I'll read you a little bit of a passage here out of one of the, uh, or some comments out of one of the wires we read because I thought he summed things up pretty well and gave you some perspective. Uh, consumer price index on Friday pushed to a new 40 year high of 8.6% annually. That's the largest annual increase since December of 1981. Many of you listening to this weren't even around for 81 uh, to remember what that was like. Energy prices surged over 34% from this time last year, the largest increase since September of 2005. And at the same time, food prices jumped over 10%, the first double-digit increase since March of 1981. If that trend continues, U.S. food inflation could reach all-time highs of 13%, posted back in 1979. Uh, not good. At the same time, the consumer sentiment uh, data, that's that University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, is down over 41% from last year and down 14% from last month, reaching its lowest level ever of 50.2. Um, what this is all doing to the marketplace is th the market believes at this point that this whole notion of a half a point rate increase by the Fed and maybe they stretch to three quarters of a point. The market's pretty convinced today that we're going to get a three quarter point jump out of the Fed in this out of this week's meeting. Maybe another one at their next Fed meeting. The Fed, is, I think, the current sentiment of the market is the Fed is behind the curve, way, uh, behind, way the behind the curve, curve and that they're going to have to catch up and try to tamp this inflation down. So what does that mean to us in the commodity markets? Uh, you have heard us talk in the past about the US dollar index. I'll get to that in a second, uh, but that is heading skyward as I'll show you here in just a minute. Um, gas prices are going nuts. This is part of it. We have reached $5 at the retail level uh, as a national average uh, for the first time ever. We seem to set a new all-time record for this, I think weekly, uh, if I'm not mistaken. About daily, actually. Yeah, just about daily, although I don't think the uh, Department of Energy reports it daily. You got gas prices going up. You got energy prices going up. And here's that dollar index slide. And we have called this out uh, a handful of times here in recent months. Typically, typically, hasn't lately, but typically a strong dollar is associated with cheaper commodity prices. And we have asked the question uh, in these past calls about, is there going to come a time when this, once again, this inverse relationship between the value of the dollar and commodity prices um, starts to rear its ugly head again by, by giving us a little bit of a bear market? We don't have one right now. We've got a growing season in front of us uh, that we're going to have to get through. Uh, more about that here in a second. But, um, you know, you wonder if that's not going to happen. We've got the dollar at levels that uh, we've kind of crested where the, the highs that we put in in early May. Uh, I don't know how far you'd have to go back. I didn't look far enough back in the chart, but you have to go back years, maybe decades to see the U.S. dollar uh, this strong. And this is because we are raising interest rates. So uh, is there a cliff out here somewhere in the future? Uh, maybe there is. The Fed is clearly trying to slow down the economy. Uh, that would be bearish demand. Um, I think if we can get a crop this summer, um, you know, market's going to have to feel comfortable that we're going to be able to get a crop this summer. But at any rate, 
uh, something to look forward to. Um, let's jump into the WASD. Let me give you the quick and dirty here. Not a whole lot to talk about. A little bit of an increase in the corn ending stocks number, both old crop and new crop. Uh, pretty much all that came from the USDA lowering their expectation of exports for corn. That's simply based on pace data. Uh, so if Mother Nature gives us a, a decent summertime growing season, uh, remember this 177 bushel an acre is a modest reduction in yield because of the late plantings that we had last month. We've now caught up, as I'll show you. That's a very tolerable. These are tolerable ending stocks numbers. Uh, they're not fat and happy, but they are tolerable ending stocks numbers. When you look at beans, the opposite. Uh, the USDA took down this old crop ending stock number from 235 to 205 by taking by adding 30 million bushels to exports. I was a bit surprised they did that. Uh, they did it based on the sales pace data. Uh, we've had a flurry of activity for old crop beans. We've got you know record amounts of new crop beans sold. Um, the shipment data is still trailing the play a pretty good amount, and that's why I was a little bit surprised to see the USDA that aggressive taking their export number up. But 205 million bushels is starting to get a little bit snug, but it is a tolerable amount. It should not require any rationing uh, of U.S. crush, which is those is good for those uh, of you that, that are listening that use veg oil. And also you can see the big bump in ending stocks over here for new crop. That's simply if we make a crop this year, if Mother Nature gives us a decent crop with the record amount of soybean planted area, uh, which is also likely to get bigger, I think, at the end of June. We should have uh, we should have plenty. Now, here's the U.S. balance sheet really didn't finagle this a whole heck of a lot. Um, <clears throat> uh, moved around the old, old crop ending stocks a little bit that caused us a little bit lower uh, beginning stocks number here that drops stocks next year a little bit. Uh, this is still the story is still going to be told here in the coming crop year on this biofuels line. Uh, told you in the past that 12 million metric uh, the 12 billion pounds of soybean oil used to make biodiesel uh, seems big to me. Uh, bill is even a little bit lower than that. Uh, I think 11, 11 and a half might be a, a, a more reasonable type number, but uh, that's where the USDA is at. But as I mentioned earlier, the USDA has been raising their ending stocks numbers um, uh, on the world ending stocks numbers uh, for the last three months. And that is a little bit uh, uh, I think that that's a little bit ominous. They're doing it. We're going to clearly, if Mother Nature's uh, uh, kind to us this growing season, uh, we should have a huge increase in world uh, rapeseed slash canola production uh, if we have a normal crop in uh, in Canada. Uh, strategy grains raise their estimate of EU sunseed production. Uh, the EU also looks like they got a good um, uh, canola crop going at this particular point in time. That crop looks to be north of 18 million metric tons. That's a, I think a seven, seven point something percent increase from the prior year. So um, market hasn't talked a whole heck of a lot about those USDA increases for reasons that I'm not completely clear on. Um, but you'd think at some point that would have put a little bit of damper on veg oil prices. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it another time for em emphasis here, but then I got to get moving. Um, we are not going to get a sizable decline in veg oil prices with $120 a barrel petroleum, WTI. Uh, we do need the energy market to break. It doesn't show any signs of that right now. But again, remember the Fed activity. Um, economic growth is not good around the rest of the world. We have got raging inflation here. And if the, US, if the Fed is successful in 
dampening the economic growth here a little bit, which is what they're trying to do. You would think at some point that that too should have a bit of a negative impact on energy prices, because think about it this way. We're buying energy and energy trades in the world market in US dollars and our energy is expensive. Imagine if you're buying it in Argentine pesos. Imagine if you're buying it in Euro. Imagine if you're buying it in any of the world currencies that are all declining in value relative to ours. Their energy prices are going up faster than ours are. And so we'll see at some point, though, you'd think this is going to take a pretty hefty toll. Wazdi, did USDA tell us anything uh, in last week's Wazdi in the wheat market, Scotty? Uh, not really. Um, n- not really at all. You, you see that the, 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 the production went up 8 million bushels. Um, you know, that's still about a five, five and a half percent increase year over year. But again, remember that we were looking for something closer to 10 to 12 percent increase year over year. Um, we, we won't get the uh, the big buy class breakdown until next month. But you have to remember and, and have to assume that the hard red winter wheat crop is the one that's still the, the laggard right now. We're going to get saved by the soft wheat crop and presumably by the spring wheat crop. Um, but you see the crop there go up eight. Um, we got the same eight million bushels going to the ending stocks. Uh, we feel a little bit better about ourselves there. If you go to the next slide, the world, um, not a lot of change there, but we did see um, uh, just a little bit. The world crop production was down just a half. But you see there the big the big red boxes, Russia going up one to 81. Uh, and, th- and that same 1 million tons, uh, they raised their exports up to 40. Now, the private analysts are all uh, somewhere well north of that 81 number. Uh, I think the smallest uh, you know, private analyst number that I've seen is somewhere north of 85, 85, 86. There's some as high as 88 or 89 that probably will likely go higher. And I mentioned earlier the uh, attache in uh, India talking about that crop. You see there, they took it down to 106. Most of the trade guesses are probably in that, let's call it 98 to 102 range. Um, and certainly uh, the, the, the smaller that crop gets, the less likelihood that they're gonna be able to export much to help fill that hole. But it would seem that Russia should be able to uh, to help fill that hole also. So that's so pretty that's much it. The Russian production and export numbers likely to get bigger. I think last week or the week before you mentioned that the uh, the uh, Russian ag minister thought that they could export 50 million metric tons, but that Indian number is also likely to get smaller. Yep. So, yep. All right. Uh, well, there's your WASD. Let me uh, hop into planting progress. Uh, we caught up. We've got our corn crop in the ground. Uh, we are back to the five-year average. We've caught all the way back up. Last week, I told you we were pretty close to it. Uh, North Dakota is behind, uh, but they caught up quite a bit as well. We're going to lose some uh, uh, probably ground to prevent plant and other crops in North Dakota, but we have so much to talk about today. We will probably talk about that next week ahead of that June 30th report about what this acreage mix uh, might change here a little bit. Corn crops in great shape. Um, we've got uh, 72% of the corn crop is rated as either good or excellent. Um, that's a really good looking crop at this point. Uh, got our beans planted, or almost got our beans planted, 88% planted. Uh, we'll see this up about finished, and we're also back to the five year average here. So 
Really not a whole lot of news. Uh, we've got our first soybean condition report, 70% good or excellent. That's really good. That's a like the corn crop we've mentioned with all this moisture in the ground um, that we are in pretty good, uh, we ought to be in pretty good shape here. Um, and, and we seem to be getting this crop up and started. Anything to talk about here in wheat conditions? Well, you see there that we, we went up marginally. Uh, again, hard red winter wheat, not so good. Uh, but we did see some uh, pretty good increases in Colorado and Oklahoma. Again, with all that rain, soft red winter wheat states are all doing, you know, all the major ones, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, North Carolina, all 63% or higher. So that's looking pretty good. And we saw our very first week of, of uh, spring wheat conditions. I think we got that on one of the next slides. There you go. No, we're going to go one more. There you go. Uh, we're we're Pretty much planted. Uh, we we haven't. We're we're still lagging a little bit. But you see, there nationally we're 94% versus 99. But the spring wheat um, condition rating came out for the first time at 54% good to excellent. So that's a decent number. Um, you know, and and you've got the North Dakota crop now at 91% planted and 92% planted in Minnesota. So it would seem that we're we're going to be all right when it comes to uh, comes to the spring wheat. Real quickly on harvest, um, not so much in terms of uh, soft wheat uh, harvest right now, but Kansas, or, or I'm sorry, Texas is, is about half done, a little over the halfway mark. Oklahoma, about a third done. And you see Kansas there at 2%, just getting started. Some test cutting uh, being done down there in different places. Um, we'll have more on the quality of that crop here as time goes on, but the early um, uh, early reports, obviously, out of Texas and Oklahoma are pretty high protein, as you might guess. Yeah, with that kind of as high uh, and and bad the drought and heat was at the end of that crop. Yeah. Um, this is, as we like to remind you, this is the two-two season. The market doesn't seem overly focused on weather at this point, but as you know, during the growing season, that can change in an instant. We've got it looks like maybe a little bit of an ominous forecast here, Paige. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the weather and uh, what's going on and what uh, NOAA's forecasting here for uh, the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so this slide that we're on right here is the past seven-day precipitation totals. Um, you can see that pretty much everywhere at least got a little bit of rain. Um, I know here in the Midwest, we had some pretty gnarly storms that kind of moved through um, that I'm pretty sure went through a fair amount of the Corn Belt. Um, you want to go forward a slide. Um, we still have pretty good subsoil moisture um, because we have had pretty good rains over the last few weeks. Um, but if you want to bounce ahead to the uh, forecast for the 6 to 10, 8 to 14. This is uh, a seven-day uh, forecast. We don't have a ton of rain, and this is why. So both the 6 to 10 and the 8 to 14 are showing pretty much all of the Corn Belt to be hot and dry. Um, like I said, at this point, we have pretty good subsoil moisture, so it's not overly daunting at this point, I would say, but definitely looking out forward beyond these two weeks, if we don't get um, some cooler temps and some rain, we might be in a little bit of trouble, but I know there's a lot of states, um, including here in Omaha, that I think the high yesterday was 103. I'm not sure if we actually hit that, but I think that's kind of the trend is a lot of these states are seeing kind of triple digit temperatures coming at them, which 
is not good. Yeah, that, that increases, uh, you know, we're really not stressing the crop at this point with all the moisture in the ground, but this certainly depletes topsoil moisture uh, very quickly. So I think what the 8 to 14 day looks like, it projects out to pretty close to the end of June. So going to need some uh, going to need some rain as we get into the, the, the early parts of July here to get this, keep this crop in good shape where this will become a market topic pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And if you want to jump to South America, you want to what's uh, what's Canada looking like first? I guess. Um, I got I know. The, Canadian, the Canadian soil moisture. We switched this slide up a little bit. This is our soil moisture map. Uh, you can still see how wet it is in Manitoba. I probably should have talked about planting progress up there. Uh, Manitoba. Now we only got data through the seventh. Um, that's out of cycle. I think tomorrow they will give us their updated planting progress. They were only about two thirds done in Manitoba, but they've gotten a little bit of a break as has North Dakota, but it's still very wet east and dry west. So, and then there's your South American map. Yeah, so not a whole lot to report as far as South America goes. Um, they have started harvesting their Safrina corn crop. Um, and in Cordonia's wire this week, he actually raised um, his estimates for Brazilian corn. I think it was up 3 million metric tons. And I thought that was a little bit odd because as far as I can tell, the weather hasn't really changed. It's still kind of hot and dry in that central Brazil area. Um, but that, it seems that like... Surprised me. Uh, that has surprised me also. Um, I mean, we really haven't gotten a lot of rain across the Safrina crop growing area. Uh, and, you know, he went down five, a whopping 5 million metric tons about, what, five weeks ago? Right. We haven't got a lot mm -hmm. of rain since, and it looks like that crop has actually fared better than I think maybe I and a lot of other people thought it would. Well, and even that, he said in his wire, um, Conab's been essentially finding more Safrina corn acres, so it's not even... <clears throat> Um, quality of the crop at this point, based on what I can tell, he's saying it's just that there's more acres that they were unaware of, which I don't know how it took you this long to find them, but it Big sounds country. like that's, yeah. Yeah, sounds like that's kind of the reason that things are getting bumped up a little bit. Um, he also mentioned, um, I think it was in Piranha, Piranha, um, there might be, um, Another frost scare later this week. Um, yeah. I don't know how detrimental that can be because it sounds like they're already starting to harvest down there. So I'm sure it would not be good, but I can't imagine it would damage it overly. You wouldn't much. think so this late in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's kind of the update on South America. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, Scott, why don't you finish this up? I know this isn't a big dairy week, but once you finish this up, tell us what's going on in the dairy markets. Well, uh, prices have relaxed a little bit. Um, you know, the, the probably the headline here is that we we topped, we didn't top it, but we, we got to $3 in the butter market uh, last week uh, before we backed off a little bit on Friday. And then we were down really nicely yesterday to $2.93 on the uh, uh uh, on the spot, we, we've seen some of the deferreds come off even a little bit more. We were down as much as a nickel on some of the deferreds yesterday. I think um, talking to Amy Smith at, at AES a little bit, that's a lot of that demand destruction that we're starting to see 
already. I think starting to hit the domestic markets a little bit. Um, it's cheaper to buy margarine than it is butter, and and people are already making those kinds of decisions at the retail yeah. shelf already. A little bit the same. When my wife notices the price of butter in the grocery store. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. So um, I think that the other thing that continues, I mean, I've been uh, putting bullets on this slide for weeks, months, really, about the whole labor and supply uh, or shipping problems in both uh, cheese and butter. The thing I thought was interesting this week was the first time I've seen it that uh, when these uh, butter manufacturers are bring, are taking butter out of cold storage and they are micro fixing it. And uh, if, if you haven't heard us use that term before, they basically take big blocks of, you know, not necessarily bulk butter, but they take these big blocks of butter out of cold storage and then they chop it up into little, you know, the, the one pound containers that you see in a retail shelf. And that takes more staff and, and uh, it's already hard enough to hire people uh, it, it's worse now when they're in micro fixing season. So, all right. Well, that's our story this week and we are sticking to it. Uh, the slide you're looking at now is once again, our contact info. Uh, I won't go over that again because I beat that to death every week, but uh, welcome questions. And as always, and especially in these crazy commodity and supply chain times, be careful out there.